0: There needs to be leadership. You need to believe in this. You need to want something. You need to drive in a certain direction.
1: Hello and welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Anna Borg. She's the first ever female CEO of Swedish energy company Vattenfall, a company looking to make a fossil fuel-free reality possible within a generation. She'll talk about her frameworks for making change happen and how leaders can stay competitive in the process. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. I think we're heavily underestimating the risk of staying in the existing
0: business models because things are evolving. and, And the new business models will, in many cases, be developed cross industries and cross companies
1: when anna borg joined vattenfall 23 years ago she never would have guessed that she would one day stand on a global stage at a u.n climate summit but that's what happened last november top 26 here's anna borg with one of my favorite moments we are actually
0: producing the world's first fossil free steel and here it is <laughs> this, uh, this uh, This piece I actually got to borrow and I had to promise to return it, which I understand because it could possibly be the world's most precious metal.
1: She never predicted such a moment, but then she never imagined she'd take on the top role at the company or be the first woman in that seat. All we could really predict is change. Anna knows this well and importantly, how to drive it. She's worked many roles at and Fall, managing sales, operation, trading, operation, strategy. And even previously served as CFO. But the one common denominator, she says, is change management and that background is critical right now at a time when entire sectors are transforming to meet climate change goals. She'll be speaking at this week's virtual World Economic Forum Davos Agenda Summit in a session about climate innovation. But ahead of that talk, she talked to Meet the Leader about her frameworks for change and the questions that leaders must ask themselves to leverage their capabilities while staying competitive for the long term. She'll explain all of that, but first, She'll talk about the energy transition and the challenges and the opportunities that lie ahead.
0: To mitigate the impact of the climate change is one of the most fundamental challenges of our time. If you're going to take out the fossil fuel emissions in industrial production, for example, uh, many times electrification is the way of doing that. But then that electricity needs to be produced without fossil fuels in order for the effect to really be there. Um, And and therefore, I think that uh, in many markets, the need for electricity is actually doubling within the next two or three decades. And when you look at it from that perspective, it looks uh, almost impossible. But on the other hand, if you consider that the investments needed here are uh, equaling to somewhere around 2% of global GDP, well, then it sounds a bit more doable. And it's not like we're going to do this on top of everything else. We're going to do this as an integrated part of the development of of industry and business. So I think it's important to also look at the way the market environment is changing, customer demand, and the business opportunities that this actually provides.
1: You have a broad background. How has that prepared you? Well,
0: I think in many of the um, commercial business responsibilities I've had, the sort of common denominator has been change management there's in most cases been a need to turn a business around to do a strategic shift uh, to maybe enter into new markets to merge different kind of businesses so this this kind of movement around change management has uh, helped a lot i think in relation to this and um, i also get the feedback from time to time that people appreciate the way that i sort of interact with with other people and see the total context of of the business in relation to what's happening here and now. And and I think I've been able to build on that for a bit as well.
1: And how is that helpful in driving change?
0: Well, I think that uh, different experiences bring different perspectives to the table. So both having uh, the experience from different kinds of, of the business and maybe especially the customer perspective, I would say, because that's where the business is made in the end is helpful. Uh, But then you can also not bring all the perspectives yourself. You have to work with the diverse teams where you bring different perspectives to the table and have the right team around you uh, in order to to manage this. Uh, But I also think it's important to not try and sort of be different because you're in a different role. I think when it comes to leadership, authenticity is is key so you still need to be authentic in who you are as a person and as a leader and also in terms of how you how you look at the business so that i think is is regardless of of the sort of role or scope important to bring with you
1: you had uh, moved up as ceo you moved up vattenfall's deadline for eliminating carbon emissions uh, to 2040 from 2050 why was it so key to move up that deadline
0: Well, um, I think it starts with our sort of purpose that we have in our company, which we have chosen to call enable a fossil free living within one generation. And to us, that is not our sustainability strategy, it's our business strategy. And we could, of course, have chosen an easy path and just say, okay, so we're, you know, an energy company, will build a lot of electricity production, renewable or fossil free, and then we're we're sort of there. But we want to go beyond that. And we really want to enable others to do this transformation as well, because we think we have the competence, the experience, and the ability to do that. And it will create value for us as a business. And one part of that is setting very clear targets. And that's why we, earlier uh, in the autumn, Decided to go for a net zero target in 2040 and also a target saying that we should be in line with the one and a half degree trajectory in the Paris Agreement. And we have also validated the actions we take to reach this by the science based target initiative. So it's not only us saying this, it's happening for real and it's validated for by someone else uh, but but to me it's in the end the sort of a competitive edge uh, topic it is about doing the right thing and doing something that really matters and at the same time building really profitable business
1: around that. We want to talk a little bit about some of the collaborations that Bottenfall is doing in, in order to sort of, uh, realize this uh, fossil fuel free future. Can you talk to us first about the the hybrid project? Um, what is it and uh, why is it so important? Well, the
0: hybrid project is really interesting. It's an initiative uh, started by SSAB, a steel company, LKAB, a mining company, and then Fall is an energy company. And the aim is to find a new way of producing steel without using fossil fuels and instead using green hydrogen produced with fossil-free electricity. And this would basically take out the CO2 emissions in the steel-making process. And since that constitutes 7% of the world's total CO2 emission, this is huge potential. Um, and it is working, you know. Uh, we started out a few years ago, um, a lot of hesitation in the world around us. Is this really going to be possible? Is it just an R&D project, et cetera? But we have the pilot plant up and running and um, um, late last year, uh, SSA Bitter Steel Company produced the first fossil free steel. It's sold to the Volvo Group, who is uh, who is using it in in uh, their business, and we're now going for the demonstration plant in the next phase, and after that, full commercialization. So it's a it's a really interesting project, and I need to tell you that when um, uh, when I and my my fellow colleagues in the hybrid project visited the plant where they manufactured this first fossil-free steel, you can really see the sort of. Uh, pride in the eyes of the people who were part of doing this and and the way they were talking about it being the future of their company, but also making a real impact from a climate perspective. So it's happening for real.
1: What was that like to walk around the plant and see all that firsthand?
0: It's amazing. Uh, You sort of feel that it is uh, historic um, in a sense, Uh, but also a lot of respect for the work put into this because I think, you know, it's taken... uh, quite a lot of determination and um, among uh, the companies in this partnership it requires I think uh, leadership and and the way of of having a bit of courage moving into this and really believing in it because it has not been easy all the way and it's still not easy but it is doable and it's a good business. We could have sold much more of this if it had uh, been there. So the demand is increasing by the day. This is not the only partnership we have. Attenfall together with Shell, Scandinavian Airlines and a company called Landsatek, where we aim at producing um, sustainable aviation fuel by reusing captured CO2 from a biofuel plant, and then again use green hydrogen in order to produce electrofuel. So there are many potential industries where you can make quite a lot of difference if you really want to.
1: Vattenfall also has joined the First Movers Coalition. Can you talk a bit about what that is and why it was important for Vattenfall to join it? It's an initiative
0: by the US President's um, Special Envoy for Climate, John Kerry and World Economic Forum. Uh, with the ambition to uh, increase the demand for sustainable uh, products and services in hard-to-abate sectors. And Battenfall is one of the founding members and I really believe in this initiative because it has the potential uh, to really sort of move innovation, new technologies uh, forward much faster and build business models uh, around this. So I'm I'm quite excited and it has started well,
1: I think. And I, and I think what's also sort of interesting about the First Movers Coalition is that um, in part, they're sort of uh, creating incentives throughout the value chain. How important is it to sort of create these incentives so that we can scale change? Well,
0: I think it reduces risk to some extent. And that is important when it comes to transforming your business or moving into new business models. So from that perspective, I really believe in this initiative because it's business for real. It's not just ambitions or targets or sort of rules and frameworks. It's it's. committing to uh, a demand of products and services which enables the innovators and the producers to really commercialize their technology sooner than what would have been the case otherwise. So I think it it makes a lot of difference.
1: Uh, There is no shortage of coalitions and partnerships and and things for the climate where people are kind of working together. But how do we make them effective?
0: Well, first of all, I think you need to really believe that this is, you know, part of where you want to take your business going forward uh, as a leader. And secondly, you need to have a bit of courage in order to really go for something like one of these partnerships. And then it comes down to hard work uh, in order to make sure that the technology works, that the business model works, and that you also can look at the, uh, the whole, the total value chain. I think that was very important in this case, because if you look at the value chains the way they used to do, you get limited in your way of thinking and maybe also start dividing the pie before there is a pie to divide. Uh, so to really look at the business end-to-end, work collaboratively, uh, around that and how to make that work and, and be sort of ready to work out the hurdles on the way because they will be there. That, that's probably a combination of aspects that are important.
1: You, you've said um, in, in uh, past interviews that it is challenging to be early with innovation, but that it is devastating to be late. Uh, can you give us a little bit um, more on that and paint a picture about what might happen if companies are really too late with their innovation and with their sustainability efforts.
0: Well, I think in the, the development we see right now, um, a lot of things are changing. The market fundamentals are changing, the market environment is changing, and the customer demand is changing. And I think there is a tendency to sort of underestimate the risk of not acting. We talk a lot about the risk of transforming and moving into new technologies, etc. Yes, absolutely. But what about the risk of not acting and ending up in a situation where you are too late with the new innovations and the new business models in order to be competitive or worst case, even irrelevant. And, and I think it's human in a way to sort of um, not consider as is, as risky as something in the future. But but it's uh, really important to look at this from, from the sort of dramatic shift or point of view of the shift that we are in. So to me, it seems much more risky to not act than what it is to act. But yes, you know, that's why we are there as business leaders. We take risk all the time and we manage that. And this is not different from that perspective.
1: I I think also just the use of the word devastating. I think that that helps people sort of see a different reality. It's very difficult for people to imagine something that they've never experienced or that they've never seen. How how important is it to sort of aid in that imagination work? It's quite important uh, for all of us uh, because... uh, it's, it's
0: so huge and it also impacts all parts of society and sometimes it's difficult to sort of imagine what that could look like so to visualize that in, in different ways, I think helps to spark this innovation and the thoughts around okay so what does this really mean for my business then if this is new reality. What would I have to do in order to be competitive in that reality? So this kind of scenarios or, or storytelling, I think, is important in order to, to be able to think in, in the sense of what if and what do I need to do with my business then?
1: You are going to be speaking at the Davos Agenda Week on a panel on uh, uh, scaling climate innovation. In, in your opinion, what is key to scaling climate innovation that you know, people might overlook?
0: To some extent, it's, it's the same uh, drivers as for the individual projects, like when we talked about the hybrid project, for example. There needs to be leadership, you need to believe in this, you need to want something, you need to drive in a certain direction. Um, and then you really need to find these collaborative ways of looking at new business models because they will not look the same as they used to do. So find the right kind of partners to work with in order to develop these new business models. And then we prepared it. It's going to be a bit, a bit bumpy, but it's going to be very rewarding as well, because the demand is to a large extent already there and it's increasing by the day. And that, that's sort of a chance of doing something that is both good in general for, for the environment and the world we live in, And that will be a really good business uh, in the long run as well. So I think to keep the holistic perspective and the very specific business focus at the same time is key.
1: One of my colleagues chatted with you in September, and you mentioned that uh, it's at a transformative time, uh, but it's also really, really key for companies during this transformative time to consider what they are transforming into. Um, and uh, as a leader, you know, what questions do you think leaders should be asking themselves as they consider what they're transforming into uh, and considering their capabilities, etc.? Well,
0: I think the first question to think about is, so what kind of company uh, should I lead and develop uh, and sort of transform into? Um, and, and, and what kind of company would I like to leave to the next generation of, of owners, employees and customers? Uh, that's the first point, to have a vision uh, and the purpose that is clear. Then secondly, I think it's really important to look at the reality around you and really dare to see the re- reality the way it is, not the way you wish it was or the way it used to be, but the way it actually is. And think about, so what's the implications then? What what do I need to do? And that's not a one-time exercise. You need to do that continuously because reality keeps keeps changing. And then I think the third question is, so what what kind of of people and colleagues do I need in order to succeed in this uh, purpose and and vision that I have? Uh, Because you need the right team for the right task uh, and you can never do or be good at everything yourself. You need to have a a team that is complementary to what you are good at and also good for the entire uh, business. So that would be the third one. The fourth one, um, which is just as important, I think, is to ask yourself, so how do I ensure that I get relevant feedback? Uh, feedback on this vision and purpose that I set up, the way we're moving towards it, and also the way that I'm as a leader is, is sort of driving this. Uh, in order to all the time make sure you know what's, what's going on, what's happening, how are things being perceived, do I need to adjust somewhere? Um, And to get that kind of straight ahead and and quite honest feedback, I think, is important. Uh, Sometimes it's not the nicest thing to be nice. Sometimes the nicest thing is to be clear, open, transparent. And that's also what you should base your decision
1: making on. What do you think is really key to making sure people feel comfortable giving that honest feedback?
0: Well, I think the first thing is to ask for it and be clear that that you want this um and that you're open for it and the second thing is to show that in reality so when when someone then gives you feedback be sure to you know thank them for the feedback and really sort of uh, think about and reflect upon what what that feedback is It doesn't mean that you will will do exactly as other people tell you to do because it's still as a a leader you are responsible and you need to make the decisions in the end Uh, but if you really want this open and honest feedback you need to ask for it and you need to show that you Uh, appreciate it as well and and nurture sort of a culture where that is respected. One piece of feedback that I get sometimes is that I'm uh, a bit too fast. (laughs) And sometimes I need to also make sure that I sort of have all parts of the organization with me uh, and all of the team with me. I'm quite impatient as a person. So when I see what I want to go for, I want to go. And that is, of course, good sometimes. But sometimes you also have to make sure you have the people with you that you need to have with you in order to succeed long-term. So that's, uh, that's probably one feedback that is relevant.
1: You talked earlier about asking key questions before you make a big decision. Do you ask these questions? How do you approach big decisions?
0: Yeah, uh, we usually use kind of a um, different perspective model. So we look, look into the sort of key decisions from the perspective. Is this in line with our sort of purpose, vision and strategy of where we want to go? Can we tick that box? Is it in line with the profitability that, that we think it's reasonable to show um, in our business uh, and the risks that we are willing to take? Um, And and the third thing is, is this also in line with our climate targets and the things we prioritize should, of course, score in all three dimensions. Uh, And then you still have to make a balance in order to have a total business portfolio that that, uh, looks a way that you're uh, comfortable with. So sometimes one aspect can have a bit more weight and sometimes another one. Uh, But in the end, the big business decisions need to meet all these three criteria. Then in the end, it's also a bit about experience and and the gut feeling. And gut feeling to my experience is uh, often, you know, a mix of what you have uh, with you since before and the kind of input you have around you. So it's not just a hunch. It's it's usually more uh, solid than that.
1: In your mind, how do you sort of balance that, right? Because gut Gut is valuable right? <laughs> gut is valuable gut is uh, of course like you're saying it's, it's it's honed and molded by experience and information but gut, gut is also uh, emotional and um, sometimes can tie into stuff that can't be captured with data And in your mind how do you how do you make the most of your gut? Uh, I know
0: that'm I'm, I'm quite you know driven. and and quite a fast decision maker. So I make sure I also have a couple of people around me who are maybe slightly more introvert than I am, who have a slightly different um, starting point for making decisions, um, and sometimes maybe take a bit longer to make those decisions as well. So I can bounce things with these people because I know that if they bring a perspective to the table that they they really want to make a point out of, then it's probably something that I did not reflect on to, uh, to the same extent as they did. So... That's uh, that's one way of trying to sort of know what your gut is good at and, and then make sure you have people that
1: are complementary to you in that sense. You have spent your, most of your career at Vattenfall. How have you changed as, as a leader during that time?
0: Well, I think in, in some aspects I've changed. I've uh, hopefully matured uh, a bit. I have more experience. I, I've seen and worked in uh, many more parts of, of business life than I had at, at that point in time. I think I also have learned to prioritize to a different extent, uh, maybe not to do everything at once or run at everything, but rather focus on the things that are really important. Uh, also work more through others rather than, than uh, what I did in the beginning. But on the other hand, I also think some things did, did not change. The sort of personality and, and the, the authenticity that we came back to, uh, those sort of basic traits, uh, are probably the same, uh, and something that, that uh, we all carry with
1: us throughout life. You said you like to move quickly, and you use the word impatience, but I think there's another word for that, which is excitement, and a lot of times impatience is really driven by excitement, by that momentum. What is your take on the importance of excitement in Momentum?
0: No, but I think you're I think you're right. And I think that something something that has not changed is that I've always been a quite curious person. I like to learn new things, to find out new things, regardless if it's a place I'm visiting uh, or I really enjoy reading books about all different kinds of subjects. I really enjoy talking to people who know things that I don't know, maybe especially the ones who are really specialized in an area, because I, I am more sort of leaning towards seeing the, the total context. So this, this excitement also comes from uh, the sort of willingness and interest in learning new things and finding that really, really
1: exciting and interesting. You are the first woman to run Vattenfall, and just in general, there's not too many women in leadership positions uh, in the energy sector. Um, I have a little statistic here on my notes It says it's about one in ten leadership jobs in the sector are, are held by women, and uh, there's a bunch of efforts in place to change this. But in your mind, what else needs to happen between now and the rest of time <laughs> to make sure that there are more women in energy leadership roles?
0: One one sort of key uh, issue here is to work in a structured way with the diversity and inclusion uh, in order to get different aspects to the table because that will make your business better and that goes regardless if we talk about um, gender or if we talk about other aspects of diversity but if we if we talk about male and female managers specifically I think it's it's just as hard and just as easy as any other kind of business target. If you really want more of a mix in order to make better business results, then you need to make sure you focus on that and deliver on that. Set the target, follow the target up, make sure you act just like any sort of management task you do as a manager. And it comes down to the ones making the decision in the end. So, me as a CEO, when I'm recruiting, or when the chairman of the board uh, is, is recruiting. So, whoever is the one making the decisions in the end actually has the power to change that. And it's not more difficult or easy than any other kind of target that you want to fulfill. Decide that you want it, set the target, act upon it, and follow up, and it will happen.
1: Um, you mentioned that in a lot of the roles that you've had, there's been a big transformation that has been expected of you, they've been a change management role. Um, beyond what you've already told us with the frameworks and with the questions people should ask, what's the first thing you're thinking about when you're approaching a big a big uh, change management situation?
0: Well, I think the first thing I do is to try and take a deeper breath and sort of look at it from a distance uh, because it's easy to uh, get caught in one aspect of it or m- many times you're also in a hurry uh, when you need to make changes or, or uh, move in, in that sense. So I try to, you know really take a deep breath look at this from uh, one step back a holistic perspective and then decide so where do I want to want to go next and then you need to pressure test a bit um, the reality that this business is sort of working in uh, and also what kind of competitive advantages you have or can um, acquire within a reasonable time frame in order to move in the direction that you Want to So that's probably how I would, would start, in combination with, with talking to other people, again, to get, get these kind of different perspectives.
1: There's been a growing acceptance that tackling climate goals is needed for capital S sustainability. By that, I mean solvency and survival. Uh, why is that momentum happening now, do you think?
0: Well, I think, first of all, it's important to have respect for the fact that, that the situation is quite different in different parts of the world. Uh, So we have different starting points. And I think it's important to be sort of humble towards that. So the answer on what to do next is not the same everywhere. Uh, And I think that's important to recognize. This will happen at a different pace in different parts of the world. And and some parts of of the world or industries will have to take a larger responsibility in the beginning than others. Uh, But but if we leave that um, aside for a little while, I think that what what is happening, especially if you look at at Europe and a and large part of the Western world is that, apart from these um, evident increased need to mitigate climate change, if you look at the IPCC report, for, a, for example, the latest one, uh, we also see increased targets and ambitions from uh, governments and institutions. But we see a lot of technology development around these sustainable technologies that provides opportunities that were not there before. We see the customer demand uh, shifting quite rapidly, actually. Uh, so it, it's starting to be difficult in some parts of the world to sell a product or service that has a too high CO2 footprint. In um, some parts of the world, there's also a price for emitting CO2 that has been detrimental, I think, to the development, especially in Europe, where there is a traded market for CO2, because it shifts the relative competitiveness between fossil and non-fossil technologies, but it also drives uh, innovation. And last but not least, you can see that the capital markets have started to regard fossil fuels as high risk, which means that they are either not willing to fund it or you will have to pay more in order to fund it. And, and all of these dynamics are sort of ber- working interlinked. Uh, and I think that is what has sort of put this snowball in motion and which makes it very relevant to look into your business and your market environment and see, so what does the new reality look like really?
1: Yeah, if you hadn't been uh, in on your career path, you've said that uh, you might have been a, a writer. Tell me a little bit about that and what was compelling uh, about that, uh, that, that potential uh, line of work for you. <laughs> Should you have taken it on?
0: I think I always liked stories. And um, I read a lot. I still do. But I also read a lot when I was, uh, you know, growing up. Um, and I think stories helps us to remember things, put things into a context, uh, visualize something um, and, and maybe also inspire us. So I, I sort of think in stories. I like to read stories. I like to communicate in stories. And uh, so I think that if I would have chosen a totally different
1: line of work, maybe I would have been uh, an author. I think you, when you talk about story and how important it is to, to uh, put things in that context, how important is it for a leader to sort of help people, you know, you, to leverage story, to help people imagine things, uh, to help them sort of uh, connect with you on an emotional, on a value level um, and to motivate people? How, how important is stories to all of those three things? I think it's very important. Uh, I mean,
0: we are human beings, we are, we are social human beings, um, and I think regardless if we work with something uh, that is more the sort of soft side or the business, or if we work on very technical things, uh, we all um, are, are human beings with the social side and, and the sort of need of, of being part of a context. Uh, and I think stories feel, feel an important uh, function in that way uh, of creating the story around what are we really doing in this company? What are we creating together? Where are we going? Uh, and it helps you hopefully prioritize and understand where, where what you are doing, how is that fitting into this bigger, bigger thing that we're working on? Um, and, and in the end, uh, everybody in a company creates the story jointly. It's not something that is just there. It's something that everybody that works in the business
1: creates jointly, day by day. Do you think that you would be the same leader uh, with a, a poorer understanding of story?
0: No, uh, I would be a different kind of leader. If it would be better or worse, I don't know. Uh, but but uh, to me, it feels very natural to talk about things in stories.
1: The listener can't uh, can't see this, but both of us are sitting in front of a very large, uh, uh, ample, robust b- bookshelves. Uh, is there a uh, is there a book that you uh, l- like to recommend something that, like, gosh, everybody should should to take this one on?
0: Oh, wow. Um, there are so many good books. Um, but if I can only choose one, um, I would probably say uh, Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark. It's a book about being human in the age of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, And it elaborates around the potential of artificial intelligence, but also the kind of choices that we have to make as human beings when it comes to how to utilize artificial intelligence. And I think that actually goes for all technology. Uh, that's available. And, and I think it asks a lot of interesting questions and, and uh, there's a lot of good reflections in there. So that's something I would recommend.
1: Is there a piece of advice that um, that you've always taken to heart, something that uh, that you feel like it sort of shapes maybe how I how I make decisions or move ahead and things is there a piece of advice that's that's really helped you? I
0: think I had many good advice from from people I respect over the years. A couple of them sort of who were around making prioritizations. Make sure to really focus on the most uh, important things, but also be sort of focused on on true north, in a sense. Um, What what are the really important things to take into consideration when when making a decision? And when you know something is, you know, the right thing to do, you need to do it even when it's difficult. Um, A more sort of hands-on advice that I think has served me very well throughout my career is one that might sound obvious, but it isn't, and that is make sure you choose your manager carefully. Uh, I think a good manager can really provide the prerequisites you need in order to be at your best at work. And the other way around, a really interesting job that you are well suited for can be so much less fun uh, if you don't have a manager that that is a good manager for you. Uh, So uh, since many years back, I started to take references on my managers, just as I did when I hired
1: uh, employees. And that uh, that has worked quite well for me. You, you said you're always learning you know, for, for the next year. Is there something that you're looking to to get better at, something that you're looking just to, to take on, anything like that, any goal that you have for, for 2022? Well, when it comes to new
0: learnings, I think that's a continuous journey. So I don't set a specific target or when that should be done. I do that constantly and, and, and in many sort of different subjects as well. So on the more personal note, I, I promised myself uh, two things, and that is that I will not compromise with uh, the time I set aside to go to the gym. And then my New Year's promise, actually every year, is to drink more champagne. Uh, <laughs> because I think that, uh, That's a target that is, you know, um, something that others would, would gladly help you to fulfill. It's something that you want to do, and it's something that brings a bit of sparkle to your life. So that's my uh, New Year's resolution every year.
1: That was Anna Borg. Before we go, don't forget Meet the Leader's sister podcast, The Book Club Podcast, introducing you to the biggest writers of our day. Here's a preview.
2: Hey, I'm Beatrice DiCaro, and I'm the host of the Book Club Podcast from the World Economic Forum. For the last three years, we've been so lucky to share our love of books with an ever-growing audience of over 200,000 of you on our Book Club group on Facebook. And now, we're taking it up a notch with a brand new podcast. Our show will feature in-depth interviews with some of our favorite authors looking at their most recent work, their motivations, inspirations, and so much more. Great fiction, economics, psychology, philosophy... The world's best storytellers will be telling us their stories. We'll be checking in with cutting-edge thinkers like organizational psychologist Adam Grant, best-selling author of Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. If we all brought a little bit of the humility to know what we don't know, um, the doubt that we we don't attach often enough to the things we think we do know, and the curiosity to discover more, we might have more open minds, and I think a more open-minded world is probably a better world. Gillian Tett, editor-at-large at at the Financial Times who is on a mission to show us how anthropology can explain the world. We can all benefit by trying to immerse ourselves into the lives and minds of others so that we can then flip the lens and look back at ourselves
0: with a lot more clarity.
2: Or Indian-American author Parag Khanna who'll talk about his latest book, MOVE, how mass migration will reshape the world and what it means for you. We are capable of preserving our survivability as a species through mobility. And it's a macro version of fight or flight. And let me tell
1: you, you don't really want to fight nature.
2: And giants from the world of literature, like author of The 40 Rules of Love and The Island of Missing Trees, Elif Shafak. Inside
0: fiction, there is everything. Inside a novel, there is politics, there is technology, there is psychology, philosophy, You know, there is neuroscience. And there's so much more.
2: So join me, Beatrice DiCaro, for our first episode of the Book Club podcast from the World Economic Forum, where I'll be speaking to Professor Adam Grant. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss it when it lands. That was my colleague Beatrice DiCaro
1: with a sampling of the Book Club podcast. Find episodes of that and meet the leader at wef.ch slash podcasts. That's it for me. This episode of Meet the Leader was produced and presented by me with studio production by Gareth Nolan. My thanks go out to him and this week's guest Anna Borg and thanks to you for listening please take a moment to rate and review our podcasts and for more extensive Q&As from our guests go online to wef.ch slash podcasts and follow us online on social media on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok and on Twitter using the handle at WEF that's it for now I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum have a great day